Oh, kia ora koutou whanau. Welcome back to another edition of the Department of Conversation. Today's conversation is brought to you in part by our Patreon. If you are interested in supporting this podcast, getting involved with us and helping us continue to make these forever, not just during this four-week lockdown, we are looking at this and uh, the bigger picture and looking at it as a, a long-term outcome of keeping on going and still being here doing this for you and with you in five years from now. So it's brought to you by our Patreon. If you would consider or would be interested in being a patron to what we're doing, then head to www.patreon.com forward slash the D-O-C-N-Z. The D-O-C-N-Z is our Patreon. Uh, if you've got a moment, go check it out. Uh, if you think of someone else that might be interested in coming on board and helping us to produce this, then maybe you could pass them a link. Uh, but that's who we are sponsored by today. Us, basically. Um, great conversation today with an old mate of mine. I used to do a lot of theatre sports with Radar and live four doors up the road from him in Central Auckland when we were young and free, uh, walking down to the dairy together and shopping around and having good times. Uh, to Radar, Andrew Lumsden. Radar, however you know him, he is an amazing man with an amazing mind and a great lot of fun. Here you go with Radar. Looking for the levels. There they are. I see the levels, Radar. To Radar, we are live. We are live streaming. Hello, sir. Hello. How are you? I'm doing pretty well, sir. How about yourself? Oh, look, I'm just, I'm in the midst of just being kind of frustrated with tech technology yeah like like, we have all of this technology and then we're limited by like one cable and then you know you've got that cable and you spend ages looking for that cable and then you find all the other cables and then you do find that cable and it turns out it's not the cable that you were looking for i um i did the uh the whole this is welcome to my bedroom it's it's um my temporary setup quite green (laughs) well we kind (laughs) of i can actually shall i do this hang on look this is really professional seeing we're live streaming can't hear yeah. you. Uh, for those people who are just listening, uh, at the moment, Pat has left his Maybe small console. He's walked to the back of his his green bedroom. I think he's picked up something, a device of some kind. He's back. He's putting not... his headphones back on again. All right, here we go. I've just I've just been narrating. Are you going to... Wow, he's just pressed, no? for the benefit of the listeners, he's just pressed a button and it's gone red. Okay, what do you want? You, can, like... you, you can pick. I've been doing this because like a... we're, we're, we're kind of green normally, but we've got, you know... Oh, blue. I'm liking the Blue. Blue. Now the it's next can't you blue. The next question is that a bit bright? Is that a bit bleedy? Because we, we can always bring the level down a bit. Ooh. No, I think that's pretty good. I think for those people who are listening, this solely as an oral experience. Allow <laughs> me to to set the scene for you. Pat is now sort of backlit with a beautiful kind of a blue. It reminds me of it's kind of summer yet a little bit Antarctic. I always think if the Antarctic is containing a lot of blue, a lot of blue light. Now you were talking about um, the tools that we have. Um, so we were going to talk about, you know, sharing on Facebook. Are you going to do this? Is this yeah. going to be the exciting start to our podcast? Yeah. Uh, and I've done that other thing where I've set up a tiny thing, but I've, I've, I've made a rookie mistake of putting my laptop just slightly too far away from comfortable <laughs> hand reach. Cause I was looking at, I was framing and, uh, and I've actually got the laptop laptop set up on my, um, uh, my sort of my workbench, what yeah. do they call the little collapsible work table thing? Right, like the Bosch one. It's very good. Um, you know, and you use it for sawing timber and stuff. All those little things that come in handy. I just make do. I've got to say, your uh, your set, quote unquote set. I know it's not a set because it's, it's your house, but your background is looking very good. That you could be very much a, a professor at university. You could you could be speaking uh, to TVNZ. You know that it works. I built those bookshelves, oh, um, cool. and these particular ones behind me, I actually built 
uh, it must have been about two Christmases ago. Uh, and then there's another set that you can't see that I've actually just built during lockdown because I had all of these books. I didn't feel that I could do any work until I had my research books out just so that they can sort of enter me osmotically. Um, and so I built those bookshelves in the first sort of week of, of um, lockdown. Although I've actually been locked down for about 10 days longer than, than the official lockdown because I locked down after WOMED. I got a bit of a cold and I couldn't ah. get tested. And I thought I don't want to be the person who, you know, spreads the disease from, from WOMED. So I, I sort of preemptively locked myself down. And then I was thinking, oh, I might leave the house. And they went, no, the whole country's locked down. So I'm, I, I, I've been doing it for a little bit, yeah, as I say, 10 days longer and also from the future and that I've refused to go back from daylight saving time. Yeah, what's that all about? Why, really, why are you doing that? I, I don't want to have the, to lose a little bit of daylight in the evening. It's a little bit difficult now. It's getting darker to wake up in the mornings, but I've got a four and a half year old and we want to go trampolining um, right up until sort of dinner time. So I, I prefer to have the evening light and I really love dawn. So if I'm awake just before dawn and I can see the dawn occurring, then I'm getting the best of both worlds. And really when you're in a kind of an isolated situation, what is the nature of time? You can define your own time. Um, and there was a great book. Uh, it was actually my book of the year last year um, by Miriam Lancewood. Um, she was a woman. She went and lived in the wilds of New Zealand by herself. She talks a lot about the nature of time and how you, when you discard the clock, what your body does. You end up sleeping a lot more. Yeah. Um, if you're not, if you're solely going by the days and, and things, I'm not sleeping a lot more because, you know, I, I, I just. But you do. So anyway, I, I've sort of disregarded it. But it's very difficult for meetings because I'm constantly trying to figure out a different time zone, <laughs> which is everywhere outside of my section. <laughs> I um I spoke to Miriam Lancewood when she was in Dunedin. She was here yeah. for the Writers Festival. And yes. um so I had her in for a podcast. Amazing. I mean, they called her the, the female Amazing. Bear Grylls and when I when I said that to her she went Mwah. and I'm like mm. it doesn't sit well and she goes, nah there was a there was a company or there was a country that she was in that they kind of labeled her that but she's like he's fake. <laughs> so yeah, she, she didn't she's, like it. She's just she's the loveliest person and, and I really recommend her book if you're looking for some sort of um, lockdown reading it's a beautiful counterpoint to that traditional kind of new zealand man alone in the wilderness kind of thing because well firstly she's not a man right um uh but she's her sort of background and how she finds herself there and and it's it is incredible it's an incredible it's beautifully written it's her first book um but there are just passages that absolutely stuck with me little lines there was one little line right towards the end and mm -hmm. and her and her partner who's a new zealand guy she met in the himalayas and he's 20 or 30 years older than she is and and you kind of just want to meet him as well yeah he sounds lovely um they're sitting watching the sea and a little wave she describes a little wave that comes up um up onto the pebbles and then a bigger wave just reaches out and grabs it and pulls it back into the sea again and i thought don't be that bigger wave let those little <laughs> waves go and and do their thing but that was that and then this year though the best book of the year so far this year has got to be um you're in dunedin and it's it's a dunedin book which is um shane carter's uh dead people i have known haven't read it yet but but it's on oh, my it's look, on my list yeah and everyone said oh what an incredible piece of writing and i'm always a little bit skeptical you think oh is it really an incredible piece of writing it is a fantastic piece of writing mm -hmm. you know and so yeah a lot of i haven't been i haven't been reading any of those while i'm here i've been trying to read about um, new zealand's history of um prohibition actually oh yeah. Is that because you're hankering for a drink? Is that what it's all about? Uh, 
No, no. Um, I'm I'm trying to write another couple of shows, and I've always been meaning to write one on um, the New Zealand wars, which I'm sort of working on as well at the same time. Uh, but there was always this one about prohibition because we used to think that all those great stories of prohibition came from overseas. But if you get down to Southland in particular, you know, um, Hockanui Hooch, um, old Mary McRae, who was this, you know, um, Scottish. Uh, moonshiner really making scottish whiskey down there they built the recipes and the stills over and the first aerial search in new zealand um down on the hokanui hills looking for the moonshiners this incredible reminder that there was a, a sense for a long time that we didn't have these incredible these stories but mm -hmm. all of these stories that you read about overseas they all happened here as well and I, and I love finding those stories and celebrating those stories so I'm, i was trying to make use of my time other than simply building bookshelves well, that's a pretty good use of your time, though, building bookshelves. I am. Yeah. Uh, you talk about the, the the sort of when there is no time or when we don't acknowledge the time, what we can do. It, but it makes me think of those early days. I mean, you know, you you go to bed when the sun goes down, you get up when the sun gets up, and you work through the day, and you, your life is dominated just you know by daylight hours and what's available, as opposed to um, what you can do because you have a a, a, a TV, a little um, black mirror with entertainment 24-7 yeah. or, or, or or electricity to stay up with friends until the wee small hours. or So, yeah, yeah. I, I get it. And I actually, I actually read once that back in the olden times, actually they would have like a, like a, a middle-of-the-night kind of get-up oh. uh, because you can't, you know, you weren't going to sleep for the entire night. So they would have this weird thing, you know, because they were governed by the sort of when it got dark. You know, if you're in the sort of northern climes, you could get dark at 4 o'clock and not be lighting until 9. That's a long time apparently they would sort of get up in the middle of the night and have a bit of a, a cup of tea or a chit chat or read a book i like the thought of getting up in the middle of the night for an hour or so i don't know about you but as i get a little bit older in my 40s i'm getting up in the middle of the night occasionally now as well but it's not generally by choice are you listening are you turning on the talk back <laughs> you know listening to the you, to the voices when you're in your in 20s and 30s you hear about how men get up in the middle of the night and some people get up two or three times and i'm like I'm just starting at times to d discover what they were meaning. So yes, uh, not the same. I, not I, the same reason for getting up in the middle of the night, but no, I'm doing that with vision. Actually, I was doing some building uh, on my shelves actually a couple of years ago, and I suddenly realised I couldn't read the tape measure, uh, and I and I I thought, oh no, I've got to that point where I'm now the age where I had to take my glasses off to see things up close and then put them back on again ah, you've always been my a, sort of marker of age you've always been a spectacled man though so it's just a, a different yeah. a different thing going on with your eyes now yeah yeah it's the sort of the the near what's it called the close the close vision yeah so now i have to sort of put them up on my head to to read yep so that's these are my uh when i turned when i turned 40 these are my up close ones oh uh, they're like magnifying glasses so they offered me. I went to I went to Specsavers, no sponsor there, um, and they do that whole two for one. So I got one for the up close and one for the day to day. And when I turned forty, I was I was living out uh, Monaco Heads out that way, and I realised that literally in one night, I realised shit. I can't tell whether that's a car coming against me or whether it's a motorcycle or whether they're on oh. my side of the road. Like at night time, it was at night time that I noticed it. Yeah, oh, night vision, yes. Yeah, maybe there. I should go um, and get my eyes checked. Yeah, life-changing. Mm. And actually, like this, again, no endorsement necessarily on Specsavers, <laughs> but I, my life was changed, literally changed, after I went to Specsavers, to go on some sunglasses, and the optometrist woman was looking in my eyes, and she said, have you had a health check recently? And I said, um, 
yep, I feel it regularly. Yeah. Um, she said, oh, a lot of cholesterol in your eyes. And I went, oh, and she said, wow. it could be the good kind. And I said, we both know that's not true. <laughs> um, so I went and had a health check, and it turned out there were some other things. Uh, cholesterol, I thought, oh, well, I can probably sort that out with diet. But there was some uh, uric acid or some kind of precursor to gout. And I thought, I'm not living the wow. life of the king. I wasn't all oysters and and and, and preserved meats or anything. You got some vitamin and C so in the, there? Got some oranges yeah, every now and again? oranges um so the doctors would take these pills and come back in three months and i said oh okay and i think the prescription is still in the glove box of a car i've sold uh, but i came home and got my wife to she's she loves researching stuff <laughs> medical things um she researched the little lifestyle changes you needed to make change my lifestyle and then um what a, that must have been about three and a half or four years ago wow and with, over that 12 months lost like 12 kilos that I wow. didn't kind of know I needed to lose. Uh, <laughs> you know, it, it was difficult. Like I had, I knocked out a lot of meat um, and I had to stop drinking beer at home. I wasn't drinking a lot, a can a night kind of thing, but you had to knock out those little things. And it, it, it was, it was amazing, particularly the meat. Cause I used to be the kind of person that if you don't have meat in a sandwich, it's not really a sandwich. Yeah. Um, I, you know, and so the hardest thing to give up actually are breakfast sausages in oh. hotel buffets or in <laughs> the Coru Lounge. I just let the little bell of my privilege ring. I, I travel a lot for work, so they're yeah. always there. And and they're the little kind of, you know, where you you, you, you raise up and you turn your nose slightly to the air and go, I shall not, you shall not pass um, <laughs> my face, you. You're a symbol. And, and it's a weird thing where you've got to give something up, like a, a, a kind of a swathe of things. If there's one thing that you kind of fixate on, then you don't think about everything else. Yeah. So yeah. Anyway, um, and, and here we are. What four, three and a half or four years later, still, still going strong. So are you? Are you actually no meats at all, or just reduced? Or, no, no. I, I just reduced. I had right. reduced it down to kind of, um, once a day, or and try to have a couple of days a week. Um, and that sort of changed slightly over the but, but still, um, substantially reduced. I used to be the person who would think who would go out for lunch and order the butternut squash. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm, the, I'm that person. And I've had some sensational dishes. And again, it, it, the tyranny of choice. If, if you're out all the time on, and traveling on the road, you know, you sort of, you got to make these, this, oh, what am I going to have for lunch? And you look at them in units, all kind of dull. But when you've only got one option, yep. the butternut squash or the eggplant or um, uh, uh, some kind of um, halloumi burger or something, then suddenly it's really easy. You say, oh, I've got to have that. And you can put your mind to other creative things. I like that idea of I, I'm. It's since the lockdown, I'm not doing it quite so much. I was doing that, um, and it wasn't even necessarily because I wanted to use that phrase of intermittent fasting. But I find it quite easy to get up in the morning and kind of go to lunchtime. So I started. Yeah. Just, I just decided to start doing that kind of midday till eight pm and only eating those windows. As I say, lockdown hasn't quite, quite um, lockdown. lockdown it, is it's different. Kind of thing, but. But it's just it's just reprogramming your brain, yep. and they've, they've kind of done studies on how long it takes to reprogram your brain to do something. I'm going to overshare, Pat, if I may. Well, yeah, please do. There's a there's a German word. I think it's I, I'm I'm not fluent in pronunciation of German. I think it's sitzplinket or sitzplinker. It's a man who sits to urinate, and they kind of use it a little bit as an insult. But mm. actually, there was a period of time, um, some years back, where I suddenly. I'm at home and it was myself and, and, and my wife. I thought I'm just going to sit because I don't, you know, untidy, untidy, untidy man. Um, and and literally, so what was I? I was in my kind of early 40s. So I'd spent 40 years since I was a sort of 40, just automatically standing to, to take a wee. And over the course of oh, three or four or, or five weeks, suddenly it became absolutely normal. I never thought about it sitting. And now standing is the abnormal kind of thing. Really? So it's this incredible ability just to change the way that you 
automatically go about business. And and fasting was the same. I did the little the five two thing out of curiosity, and what it did was it reprogrammed my brain and said, "You're not hungry. You're." bored or you're procrastinating yep you should be doing some work and you instead you're going to go and stare in your fridge and just go i don't really need to eat but i'm going to because the food is there yeah 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 i was going to say as well the, the little changes the idea of not drinking beer at home seems to be a really smart one for that you know for the kiwi bloke who might down a, a couple of dollar fifty cans at home because it's easy when you buy them in bulk but when you go out it's a there's a financial decision to make as well and, and that seems easy maybe that seems a good way for people to cut back if they had that rule so I went to this kind of yeah. 12 to 8 eating and then my little rule was just don't eat out because you know you'd, I'd, oh. I'd, I'd be out at work and when I say don't eat out I mean if you went out for dinner that's fine but you know you're at, you're, you're at I'm at my studio I'm at my office I'm trying I'm thinking well you know I haven't bought lunch with you. I'll just get something and typically when I get something it's the worst option so if I had this here thing in my head that I don't eat out, then I either and I had one I had one kind of get out of jail free card if I got stuck out, which was um, there's a fantastic cafe in Dunedin called Morning Magpie, and they're very good. I mean it's just eggs on toast because it's protein, it's, it's sourdough bread, it's not too bad. And so that was sort of my get out if if I really did get stuck out and couldn't do anything. But nine times out of ten, like like I live my my studio is in the octagon, and well it's just outside the octagon, sorry, but that's only like six k's that way. So you're never really far from having to. It's not like being in Auckland where you've got an hour and forty minute drive home if you live out in Helensville and it's you know rush hour or whatever. Um, so it's easy to be organised if you choose to be, and if you make those rules and then stick by them, you force yourself to be organised. And they're just little changes. So the little changes were twelve to eight eating and don't don't buy food out, and that that was that was all I did. And that's what I was doing for the couple of months leading up to this, and we'll continue on as well. Yeah, and that's got to be sustainable. Mm. Um, and also, you, you you then need to be surrounded in some ways by people who who, who validate and support those choices. And you know, we see this. Um, I think in terms of criminal justice or, or, or people with recidivist sort of behaviours, they they get put back into the situation surrounded by people who don't want to change or yeah. won't change or they can't change because they don't want to stand out. And you know, there's all these little things. I mean, people, you know, it's, it's a yeah, it's a. Yeah. Again, we we probably have that kind of that privilege of being able to go. You know what? I'm going to change. I'm going to change my lifestyle. Yeah, and and, the, and there is a it's privilege only, in that. It's really only our willpower, and we don't have a lot of other things. But there is a privilege in the idea of having having choice. Choice is a privilege. Oh, I mean, oh my God. some yeah. people just don't have any at all. And whether I come home and have you know eggs on Vogel's bread, which is a great meal, um, you know, some people find even what many of us would think is a very simple inexpensive meal. For some people, that's that's not. That's a luxury, yeah. and it's oh, yeah. and it's expensive. Yeah. So. You know, on some levels, choice, some choices, not all choices, but some choices are, are a privilege, and I and I completely acknowledge that. But it's interesting you say the thing about the people around you. Uh, so I've got a ten-year-old, sixteen-year-old, and a thirteen-year-old turning fourteen in a month or so. And uh, my ex, the the my kid's mother, lives next door as my neighbour. Um, and I've been talking to her about what we're doing with food over here, what I'm doing. Because basically I cook. So I'm like, this is what I'm doing, guys. You guys are joining, whether you like it or not. And the 10-year-old has been like talking to her mum about how much she's enjoying the food that we're having around here. And we're not doing much. We're not going crazy, but we're just kind of upping the protein a little bit and downing the carbs a little bit. That That's kind of it for, for meals. And 10 year old's been going like, oh, I'm loving all the food at dad's place. And, you know, it's so easy. And so it's it's good. Yeah, so they're, they're on board. Because even the very nature 
food. I've been obsessed with food for a really long time. It'll be interesting what happens to people's relationship with food coming through this kind of period, whether people suddenly are cooking a lot more, whether they're baking a lot more, whether they're doing it out of boredom or because they have the time or the necessity or the ability. What? How will that continue on, I wonder, once we're sort of through this particular period? Because everyone's talking about, oh, everyone's going to be so healthy when they get out of this four weeks. But, <laughs> but you know, oh, but you could very, people. but you could very easily go have gone to the supermarket and bought, you know, thirty pizzas, frozen pizzas, and a hundred bags of chips, and you know, two cases of coke. So you could be in the middle of this, eating really poorly. I'm interested to see which way it goes. Mm. Will people have taken up the choice of cooking more and eating more at home? And picky making good choices, if they have the you know, ability to make those choices, and will that continue on as you're suggesting or as you're asking as well, or will it be coming out of here, you know, you know that episode of South Park where the guys play uh, World of Warcraft, and they end up getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger, and Cartman's mum is bringing around a tray to let them crap in while they're playing, and they just get bigger, and I, I wonder if people will come out less healthy because actually they haven't left their property and it's been chips, coke, and whatever the whole time they've been inside it's gonna be it's gonna be a mixture i think i think one of the one of the worst things that has come out of it are those people who have got this kind of radical incentivization to achieve all of these things during this period it reminds me a little bit like a like an orgy of new year's resolutions <laughs> uh, many of which are destined to fail but for a lot of people who are just struggling to to come to terms with what their life may mean outside of this um there's been some great articles around you know the psychology of this whole period saying look you just you do you and you you get yourself sorted to the the level you want and ignore all of this kind of you know that that grandiose facade of stuff that's coming through your social media feed of all these people doing this baking and doing this cooking and writing that novel and doing 300 sit-ups because actually that's that's if people want to do that that's cool but you do you do what is going to make you feel secure um, yeah and there was a great article by a woman who'd spent a lot of time in uh emergency situations war zones and weather events you know um, cyclones and hurricanes going actually the really important thing is to focus on on essentially getting your nest right getting your social structure sorted out making sure you maintain contact and then everything else comes on after that you get a lot of people who do come in they rush in, they try to get all this stuff done and then after a period of time they they burn out and they haven't got that sort of it's not really comfort scenario they haven't got that that system that around them to support that ongoingly so again it's, it's going to be different for everybody and, and as we say you know you've only got to look in the paper each day to see all those people out there who are you know the, the, some incredible stories coming i think rotorua uh, of somebody's put um, a lot of the kind of the homeless into the nicest hotels they can find mm -hmm. and, and they're standing outside almost 24 hours a day keeping the gangs and the drug dealers away you know they're keeping monitoring them when they say they're going to the supermarket they the guy follows them to make sure they go to the supermarket and you see this you know one guy that he's known for years and years and years, never seen him sober. Suddenly he's been in there for 21 days. The color of their faces has changed. Oh, they, yeah. You know, they've got how that will sustain itself. But, you know, I, I, I read that. I'm just sitting at home. This is like, <laughs> literally, it's like my Christmas holidays. I come home and I stay at home. <laughs> I work from home. My wife works from home. We have our daughter with us most of the time. It's kind of relatively... You know, it's it's normal apart from the fact that my phone keeps sending alerts for for conferences and events and flights that I'm supposed to be on and and I'm not on. Yeah. yeah. So you know, again, just 
the range of experiences out there it's it's fascinating and and then you've got to sort of sit there and and filter that filter that bubble of information that's coming into you while you're aghast at people i don't know if you saw the other day of the two guys somewhere maybe menyarewa i'm not sure burning burning the um the, the cables for a, a cell phone tower. I've, yeah, and I've, I've seen some of those. Live yeah. streaming it. Yeah. And I was like, oh my God, what is going on out there in the world? Yeah, the conspiracy theories um, certainly aren't helping. The, um, the, 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 the comment and the idea about looking after homeless people well at the moment, I, I, I'm really excited and happy that's happening. But I also am filled with a little bit of dread and concern mm. that as mm. soon as once this is over, it's like, all right, on you go, back on your back on your bike. Here's your bottle of terps and bread to run it through so you can keep drinking. It's the same as the health workers, you know. I look at uh, I look at uh, Brooklyn. You know, at seven o'clock every night, people are coming out on their balconies and clapping all the health workers as they go into their shifts and out of their shifts. And I just want to go. I, I think that's nice, but how you really show gratitude for the workers and let's say care for the homeless is sort the fucking problem out afterwards like there is a problem with homelessness let's not put them up in a flash hotel for four weeks let's figure out what we need to do with that post the four weeks these health workers that we're saying you know these health workers are like the the soldiers of this war they're the ones on the front line they're the ones facing the most danger they're the ones working 20 hour shifts without sleep they're the ones kind of giving up their lives on some level for others how about when this is over, we figure out how to pay them properly mm. rather than just clapping mm. for them during it. Not to take away mm. anything that's happening now, which is a, a nice community spirit, but it's like, let's turn that into proactive and positive uh, action post-COVID-19 lockdown. Well, it's going to be fascinating to see how society does change in, in those respects. It was a study, was at Denver or somewhere like that, where they had a, a quite a substantial um houselessness problem homeless problem mm-hmm. uh and they did the start did the figures and it was cheaper for them to put someone up in an apartment like build apartments uh and put them in that apartment once you figured in health costs justice department police pickups um all the little extraneous costs that all add up um you know so will we get to that stage i don't know it seems that we can't even house our own people although maybe there'll be a flood of properties back on the market now that the airbnb market has collapsed substantially um you know uh they're saying an island like that suddenly they went oh my goodness look at all these properties flooding the rental market yeah i know where my sister is in cambridge you know she said she's seen her suburb change over the last four or five years um with the airbnb market or the you know the rowing people will rent a house for the entire year just for the rowing season they'll just use it for rowers they'll come down from auckland Mm -hmm. she she said you know where she is the primary school was emptier because there's no families there anymore you know that's a little old sunny old cambridge so goodness only knows what it's going to do elsewhere yeah that's a really interesting point actually i mean uh, it's i heard someone say the other day and i haven't read this report myself so it is a little bit of hearsay or at least at the very at the very most at second hand that there's been some talk that air new zealand is actively positioning themselves to be a domestic airline for the foreseeable future yeah i'd I'd read that in in the paper they basically said it's it's going to be because you know how can they fly overseas if we've got a lockdown um actually of all things one of seemingly the sensible articles i've written and i can't believe i'm going to say this (laughs) was ian wishart oh really wrote something the other day good old ian uh (laughs) who 
you know, um, but he was actually saying, uh, you know, to look to look into the future. He says that that concept of, of of even going over to Australia for the weekend for those people who who were lucky enough to be able to do that, um, that'll be gone. And and if tourists are going to come, they're not going to come here and quarantine for two weeks and mm. then have their holiday and go back home and quarantine for two weeks or whatever that may be. So that kind of huge difference of what it means to be isolated down here for however long it may or may not take to get through this and um, the interesting thing will be you know people who suddenly and you've seen a lot of it um chit chat about it people suddenly go i'm gonna go and see everything in new zealand um and i've met people before i've done some domestic tourism things just did something for the west coast last year i think it was dom- solely domestic to say hey look there's all these amazing things on the west coast mm. you don't need to go overseas come to the west coast yep and i've met people i remember getting a ride to queenstown with people who'd never been north of well never been north of queenstown they didn't see the point but yet they'd been overseas so suddenly, maybe New Zealanders will be looking, you know, to our own backyard. Yeah. And goodness knows, you know, uh, as they say, even if you go to Queenstown, what's going to be there? What's going to be in Queenstown? Are any of these tourism businesses going to exist? Will they suddenly start to have a different sort of structure where, where locals get a, uh, a price and then out-of-towners pay slightly more, overseas people pay slightly more? Is there, a, 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 you know, all of these little questions? But uh, goodness only knows. Who knows? I was Who thinking. Knows? I was thinking internationally, and this was mostly because of people needing to get to their home countries at the moment. They sort of need to turn an airline into like a bus service, where it goes. Mm. You know, where it kind of goes: Los Angeles, uh, uh, you know, Honolulu, Brisbane, Sydney, Auckland. Wellington, Christchurch, Melbourne. You know what I mean? Like a bus service does. Like an aerial plague ship. <laughs> <laughs> Once it's done. But maybe Air New Zealand could do that, you know? So so Fakatane yep. comes back in and goes, Auckland, Fakatane, Wellington, Nelson. You know, but you don't get off the plane. You just kind of go, do, 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 and you get off at your mm-hmm. at your stop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You pull the bell, yeah. <laughs> ding, on the plane. That would be great. And you get off at All your All the same, stop. you know, like, likewise... Uh, that time to sort of reinvent the notion of what a plane is. I've been sort of slightly obsessed with electric planes for a while and oh, yeah. in a sort of peripheral kind of manner, mainly because I've, I've been all about aspiration for a long time. I want people who are aspirational politicians and just business leaders, community people. I said, was it Denmark, Norway? One of the two um, had said, we want all of all our short haul flights. They have a lot of short haul flights popping over the hills to the town or, or city to be electric by 2030. And that announced that prior to the, um, I guess even the invention of a commercially viable electric plane. Yeah. Um, I, I like that kind of thing. Someone said the same thing here. You know, suddenly what happens when you do have little planes that can commute people backwards and forwards and they are electric? That changes your time. You don't have to worry about noise. So airports can operate longer. If, you know, if they're, if depending on the cost and whatnot, you could have a lot of those little short haul flights of Auckland to Hamilton, Hamilton. Tauranga, Tauranga, Fakatane, whatever you know, what, what, whatever they may be. So maybe they'll they'll be looking at at sort of pushing technology towards that sort of thing. Who knows? Who knows? Supposition I'm, and conjecture. Caused I'm, by I'm fascinated by the I, by the idea of a, a electric plane, but I guess you know the fastest cars on the road at the moment are coming out of Tesla, and they're electric. You know, they're saying their new one's going to be. Not to 100 k's an hour in 1.9 seconds. So I guess what what is the point of that? No, I don't, I don't actually know. But 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 meaning no. but meaning that the power is there to do that. So obviously that must be transposable yeah. to to flight. Yeah, I went yeah. to Nottingham University. Not I didn't go as a student. I visited, uh, and they had a program. They were tied up with Jaguar, and one of their research projects was what sound should an electric car make? Uh, and really, it oh that's it easy can be oh it's any sound at all. No no and no so it's they had that, a little... no 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 it's the sound from the Jetsons that. Wow, they, I, I'm sure they be. use that. 
and and they had a little sort of like a golf cart and they drove it around the campus and it would have various sounds and they would monitor whether or not they were effective they said up to 30 k's and then after that doesn't need to make any noise because you won't hear it anyway and you'll be hit so you know that sort of that, that sort of magical 30k hour that they want to reduce a lot of those streets in auckland um down to 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 stop the sort of pedestrian hitting and things like that but suddenly silence the silence will be you know for people who are in cities at the moment they've probably never heard that silence. Yeah, and, yeah. and there was a great quote by someone who said, uh, a woman, Alana Mitchell, who was a Canadian journalist who's written about the death of the ocean uh, and various other things, did a thing prior to one of the Canadian elections. They wanted to find all the aspirational people to say, what does a carbon neutral, carbon zero future look like? And one of the scientists says, um, it'll be marked by the return of birdsong. It won't be that the birds haven't gone away. It's that suddenly for the first time in you an urban environment, mm. you'll hear the birds. And people have been talking about that. You know, they're hearing the birds in the, in the centre of the city going, wow, all the birds are back. Well, might have just been there. You just couldn't hear them above the sound of that bus and car. I've, I've read a couple of uh, uh, posts, Facebook posts, you know, the place, the, the bastion of all knowledge, Facebook, from uh, people saying that the birds are coming back in their neighbourhoods. But, yeah, maybe it's that they've heard them and then noticed them rather than noticed them and then yeah. heard them. So maybe that's what it is. We're, we're really lucky where I am. I'm in the northern part of Dunedin. And we have a, a you know a rat and pest free eco sanctuary just over the up over the hill, so yes, you do. so that starts to has started quite obviously to flood out Tui and uh, Kiriru and various birds. So this this part of Dunedin is uh, we're quite lucky that it's quite heavily populated with a bunch of those birds. But I tell you what, I miss I, I miss fucking moorporks. I really miss oh, more we've, we've got, got one. Yeah, we don't yeah, like we I... one. In a, in the, in the, I'm just pointing. No one can see. Uh, <laughs> I'm gesticulating with my my my, my thumb and over my shoulder backwards towards sort of uh, Opanuku uh, Creek, which is just behind me in Henderson Park. Here, one uh, constantly. See, the return of the birds is an interesting thing. Um, if you look at those sort of um, unexpected consequences, so you've got um, the big sanctuary there in the middle of Wellington, uh, Zootopia. What's it called? Um, you know, you know the one. Middle, middle of Wellington. Yeah, the middle sort of off off to the centre of Wellington. There's a big dam. Oh, people are going to know what it is. They're going to be yelling at me through their through their screens. <laughs> um, anyway, so they've got all the birds returning, and now people are complaining. There were too many kaka. I think it was. Oh, there's too many of them. They're they're eating our fruit. They're pulling our trees out. And I remember there was a huge brouhaha. Bruce Wills, um, former banker, farmer, president of Federated Farmers, various other things said. He said, "What happens when you've got all these native birds coming back and they're coming into the orchards and devastating the crops?" And everyone went, oh, you know, because as people are want to do in this day and age, I've not considered the, 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 you know, the arguments that people are attempting to to bring up to discuss and simply go, another bloody farmer who doesn't want any conservation of birds. You're saying, no, 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 no. We, we need to think about what happens yeah. when suddenly this is one of those unexpected consequences. People are willing to, you know, complaining the birds are too loud. I can't sleep. All these native birds are too loud. They're eating my my bloody fruit trees and various other bits and pieces. <laughs> you know, likewise, what happens if you've, you know, with a predator-free scenario where you get rid of kind of the ferrets and the stoats and the, and the rats and suddenly you have a plague of mice and rabbits. and You know, the world is a complicated ecosystem as we are indeed seeing at this very moment. Yeah. So I love I love all those kind of deeply philosophical arguments. I like the sense of someone with a philosophy degree that I, I'm not going to say I earned it. Uh, I just almost gifted it. Um, just see the return of these kind of debates around these sort of things what do we do even now you know will we come out of this and, and have a ubi of some kind will yeah. it be a wealth tax a capital gains tax how do we fund this 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 once in a in a 
multi-generational you know what what's a sort of scenario goodness only knows i am um, i used to enjoy when i dig talk back one of the things i used to enjoy most of all which is basically asking the question you've just asked about the downstream effects as i used to always ask callers and then what and yep. it would be something that I'd constantly ask. And I, the example I've used before and I often use is, you know, there was that classic example in Porirua, there was a house with a solo mum that had gang members at it and the street wanted her out. And so the talkback callers would all, you get them out of their house. And so I go, okay, let's just, let's just say that happens. And then what? And they'd be like, what do you mean? And I'm like, well, okay, what happens to the mum? What happens to the kids? Well, that's their fault. No, no, no. We have to think about this. And then what? And I said, what happens if this is, let's say it was a tinny house. Don't know if it was or it wasn't. Let's say it was a house that, you know, bought uh, drugs and crime into your community. What if they then moved down the end of your driveway because there's a free house there? So the end, then what? I always, I used to love doing that because it would be like, a, let's just, I, okay, we're not going to go six layers deep, but I, talkback can go deeper than sh the surface. You can go at least to one or two layers. You can do this. Trust me, it's safe. I'll hold your hand. Let's try and figure this out. Did you notice a change over the years you did talkback in the partisanship that the kind of the, the the black white it is this it is not that or was it did the nuance continue or did the kinds of people who rang talk back were they ever was there ever a lot of nuance or did they just want to have an opinion and state that and it was a categorical thing i think so you know have you noticed a change in the last say five years uh well i haven't done it for a long time but um the i, I did it for seven years full time probably 10 years in total um, and when I came in, I came in after a host who the audience really disliked a lot and the audience was decimated. Um, and I used to go, I, I, I used to have maybe 30 calls a night. That's in a six hour shift. That's not a lot of calls. And I grew that to maybe a hundred calls a night by the time I left sort of thing. So there was a definite change in tone, but those 30 callers who phoned on the first night I was there were still phoning on the last night I was there. So they were still there and there wasn't a change in them. Um, and I think, to be honest with you, the partisan black-white was still the uh, predominant conversation, and it would work both ways. So I'd say something supportive of you know a, a left policy, and I was the mouthpiece of Helen Clark. And the very next night, I'd say something supportive of uh, you know a, a policy more to the right, and I was uh, you know a right-wing nutter. Um, and so I think that my experience was people found it difficult to go nuance. People found it difficult to kind of go, you can hold this. And I still see it in society today, you know. I think in general, people find it difficult to go, um, I can hold this opinion and this opinion at the same time, even though they may not align completely in your head together. Um, you know, like I, I, for example, you asked me about, and I remember this conversation when I was doing talkback about selling state assets. And I was like, well, Let's think about it a bit broader than that. The government was proposing selling 49% of state assets, which looking back on today was a huge mistake because now the government's propping up a half of an airline giving benefits to investors because we can't lose it. You know. So, But anyway, hindsight is twenty twenty, And I said, the, the reason you sell an asset is because you need to do something. Most of us who have houses, most of us sell our house to buy the next house. Most of us, if we're lucky enough, in an ideal world, we keep the house, we borrow more, and we have two houses. That's what we want to do. So I said, but the rationale is, why are you selling this asset? And the rationale for the then national government was, and I remember them saying it, um, fixing up schools and hospitals. And my position was, well, okay, well, in 25 years from now, once you've sold that asset, and you can't sell it again to fix up 
schools and hospitals again, what are you going to do? So I, I was against the sale of the state assets because it didn't make logical sense. But the concept of selling state assets, I'm not against because it depends what the payoff is. It depends what you're using it for. So let's say we sell a, a house in Owaraka that's $1.5 million. It's a state home and we build four other state homes with it. That would seem to be a wise selling of a, you know, a publicly owned asset because you're giving four families a home as opposed to one. So, you know, I, I, I'm just not, because I'm not black and white, because I think I can go in different areas. That so another well, example. Likewise, then with, with that conversation, then the family that has lived there for thirty years, sure. that is their home. Totally, they're being thrown out. You know what what happens to them? They get put into you know somewhere else and they shift it around. They're disrupted yeah. from their community and their things. That that you know get that the nature, the, the complicated nature of life. If, if only it was easier i just don't think people do nuance at all well no and i, and I think well, then, i think you see that in american politics at the moment especially um and i think you know it's this whole um the u.s at the moment are scrambling to try and give themselves a health care like we have yet they haven't set up as an emergency yet at the same time they're also saying we need to be careful because we don't want the populace what the, the right-wing politicians are saying we don't want the population to think they're entitled to this once this emergency is over and it's like actually, what a strange and mixed up place it is. It is a strange and mixed up place. You know, I don't get it. I filmed over there. I filmed a couple of election campaigns over there, and I just remember I was with one of the guys who was the head of the local Republicans in a particular area, and he was talking about Medicaid and this that. No, no, I don't. Why should I pay for someone else's medicine? And then sort of afterwards, he said, "Oh, you know, I'm on disability, but my my insurance runs out next year, and I just." Oh, I just, I don't know what I'm going to do. And I went, dude, you, you've just, you know, all that stuff we were just talking about. That's you. you. do that. That's you. That's the thing. And then the thing that I find scary, and I don't know how far this is into a sort of a conspiracy side of things. It's just those, that American evangelicism for whom they, they seriously believe the rapture is actually a thing. There was a great <laughs> quote the other day that for them, that the COVID situation is, it's not a bug in the system. It's a feature. It's something that will help to bring oh, yeah. along, you know, um, the apocalypse. And you've got sort of four of the top 10-ish are evangelicals. I think Mike Pompeo, who, who openly talks about, you know, the rapture, Secretary of State or something. And you think, what what is driving these people? You know, they the, the flawed king that is Trump, who they may not necessarily agree with, but what a wonderful tool that has been given to them mm. to further this kind of, aim and and, and you like i'm saying that at the same time as i'm thinking this is crazy no one no one could believe that but yet it does seem to be the thing am i getting you know i think it's i think it's when religious beliefs sort of i mean the, the thing i mean i love america and i love american politics i i i have it intravenously inserted into me on a daily occasion i Absolutely love it. I, I probably I follow it not at the moment because of what's going on, but I follow it probably more closely than New Zealand politics generally. Um, but it's the it's the classic thing where they say we're a separation of church and state, but actually <laughs> their church and state are so yeah, intertwined right. with their especially oh. right wing politics, but politics in general is that totalitarianism. I yeah. I coined a phrase in a blog post a while, a few years ago called Yaria because I always talk about you know Sharia <laughs> law, and I called it Yaria law. Because actually, Yaria law in America is a very real thing. It's like if you if you're not down with old JC, then you're not really going to be a a um, a lawmaker in America. And a lot of their laws being intertwined. Like yeah, you know, we can do a million examples, but one that comes to mind is, you know, um, 
various insurance companies will happily supply little blue pills so men can get erections, but they won't supply the pill to women to stop having pregnancies. You know, and it just it goes on and on and on and on and on and on and on. And I I think that America is a lost cause. I think they're a lost cause. Well, gonna, I was, I was oh, going to say, I, I was going to say until they X Y Z, but I don't think there is. I mean, for my opinion, if Bernie had got in this time around, there was a chance to see some change, but there's no change coming. I actually think now they're a lost oh, cause. What is what is Biden? Eh, like <laughs> two seventy something year olds. Like, come on, you know. But you see some amazing younger people coming through. But there was a great book I read years ago called Confederates in the Attic. It was a uh, by a guy who's a Pulitzer prize-winning journalist uh, sort of guy and he was at his sister's and he and he woke up one day down on the kind of dividing line between where the north and south was in the civil war and he, yep. he woke up there's a noise outside a disturbance and he looked out and there were these reenactors uh outside he thought what is what are they doing and so he 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 used the device of following all of these reenactors some of whom are real zealots they will starve themselves and they would pride themselves on their ability to sort of pop their stomach out of their emaciated frames so that they look like really good dead bodies. Wow. Uh, that was their thing, you know. Um, but he used that to talk around the kind of that 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 line that is still there today that divides the states. And, and, and he, you know, um, what did he call it? The, he said the, the United States of America. It's all the, the floor is summed up in the name. They only remain the United States of America while the states remain united. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yet the the differences in in in, in religion and beliefs and in income and everything between all of those little states. It's such a you know, you're just waiting for this kind of empire to balkanize in a way. So who knows? I mean I remember Tommy Honey, uh do you know Tommy? Tommy no. he was a uh, used to do some sort of future chat and uh, uh, architecture stuff um, on RNZ and various other things, a lecturer. And he said, um, this is a few years ago. He said, this is the moment, uh, I think we were talking about Trump coming through or something. He said, this is this is the moment that we would read about in history books and think, how did that happen? Mm. Like we're living in that moment. Although in saying that, it's pretty easily, in saying that, I go, how did that happen? Like how did America get to that point? But at this point, it's pretty easily explainable. Oh, at, yes. As opposed to, you know, the the people being sick and tired of the American system, looking to basically burn it down. Um, America is the, I personally think, the best Western country in the world for voting against their own self-interest. You've already given <laughs> already given an example of that. Um, and, you know, and, they, and, and not to go on about 2016, the Democrats basically handed it to the Republicans by putting up the most unliked political candidate in the history of the world. So... You know, and they went. Well, do, do I want to well, have do arguably I, Pat? Well, <laughs> they, they so research showed that they were number one and two. Yeah, both her and yeah, her, yeah, yeah. her and Trump. So, I mean, yeah. how did we get there? I mean, I, I wonder if ten years after World War Two, in Germany, they were going, "What the hell did? How did we do that?" I wonder if it was a similar thing. I'm not. I'm not actually comparing Trump with Hitler as a direction, but as a per, no, 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 no. as a, as a moment in time where a country went, "What the hell were we doing?" I wonder what it was well, like I, in Germany in the mid fifties and what they were talking about. I blame the Belgians. Okay. Uh, <laughs> if the if the Belgians hadn't held out uh, so strongly, and the was it World War? Which one was it? World War One. World War One. Um, they hadn't held out so strongly and stopped the Germans from coming through and completing their kind of master plan. Then mm. maybe we wouldn't have been bogged down in the quagmire. <laughs> thing, or was it World War Two? Whatever it was, World War Two. I think World War Two. Uh, and I'm ba you know, um, basing this on on the uh, incredible and lengthy podcast uh dan carlin's uh, countdown to armageddon 
um, whatever it was, the Belgians held everything up and changed the course of history forever simply by not rolling over and capitulating as the German war machine rolled through, uh, thus not enabling the Germans to complete their war plan. And maybe the war would have been over in a matter of weeks, uh, but as it was, it rolled on for, for many years. And I don't really blame. If you are a Belgian or a, a <laughs> Belgians, I, I, I was, I, I was only really, I was, I was joking. <laughs> what are we supposed to be talking about today, Pat? We've had a lot of small talk and chit chat. Is, is this it? Is this what we're doing? Yeah, sorry, sorry to disappoint. Shooting the breeze. <laughs> no, it's good. We it's just, good. I like it. We just talk shit. I mean, I don't. I mean, when I, it's funny. I have people come in who are often broadcasters and stuff, and I say, what. Well, I sometimes literally don't know when we go live what we're going to talk about. And often it is based on the last thing that was said before the cameras go on. And that was actually what we did today. We were talking about technology and how we're using it. And we end up getting somewhere and we talk and we talk until we're finished. And uh, yeah, it always seems to naturally find a conclusion. And I just, I'm I'm quite, even though COVID-19 is a very large topic to talk about at the moment and all of my, and we've talked about it, we've talked about it via, you know, what are we doing, what the world's going to look like. I'm also pretty keen, I'm not going to engineer it to not talk about it, but I think people are enjoying at the moment just chats as well. You know, just people talking about other things. Yeah. Um, I, I guess, well, I no guess. shortage of things to talk about. Yeah, I guess I'm a bit of a political tragic and often that comes up in conversation with people, but it really depends. It's It's a... I call it the I call it the Department of Conversation because I do want it to be a conversation and and you know you're a communicator so you're great so you've bounced questions back at me. People who are kind of used to being interviewed sit back a bit more and wait for questions. But normally I, I when I send out I think I sent you the document I'm like imagine it's eleven o'clock Friday night we've met in a pub and we're having a beer. That's sort of the conversation we're having and that's that's a lot of small talk perhaps. <laughs> do, do, you, do you remember those days back then when we could go out into the world and 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 have a have a beer. Yeah, it's fascinating, actually. You know, um, working on this project around prohibition in New Zealand. You know how strong that prohibition movement was back in the kind of the late eighteen hundreds, early early twentieth century. You know, and they, they would pass laws. The thing there's a law that 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 passed that really staggered me, where they banned any form of live entertainment in a tavern. Oops, I just whacked my my microphone. They banned any form of live entertainment in a in a in a tavern, which meant so no music, no couldn't go and see a show and you would think that at the time these buildings were probably the more substantial ones in town they were people came to congregate and again how those little changes affect what it meant to be a new zealander at mm. that time um it's really fascinating and actually fascinating now as well when we're looking at you know i'm my job is to get in front of a group of people whether it's doing history or comedy or a lot of conferences and be with people in a room and do a function you know that job may not exist for conceivably six or 12 or you know who knows when people are going to want to start to get back together in a group we, we invariably will because humans are very much a, a community species we want to be around other people and share experiences um but you know to have that taken away from the likes of that and they said that um uh prohibition meetings were very very popular because they were um men and women could come together and there would be a song some singing or dancing right dancing but certainly a band or something afterwards they were the guy they, they became the entertainment of the time so it's, it's um yeah uh, super great and then one of the best thing we discovered was um for a, a period of time we were looking uh, because there were some laws that said you, you had to stop people paying people in rum would let a have give them their wages in rum uh, and then um my wife was doing some research on it because she's a great little sort of ferret of knowledge and she said oh actually in australia their their currency for a period of time was rum and i said well that can't possibly be true 
then it turns out that actually it was that rum was a was a currency the problem with rum as a currency of course was that it's incredibly consumable yeah. um, so you're literally drinking drinking your currency and then macquarie came in i think it was and he basically because they'd given the right to to import and sell the rum to a few people to basically pay for something the government wanted to do uh and he just he, he sort of quashed all of this he was incredibly unpopular but he just basically opened up the floodgates and allowed all this alcohol to come in which devalued the currency of rum but um you know history history is a great thing at times like this you can read all these little things and think wow what on earth was going on then yeah i've got someone who's who's either has been watching hang on or is watching us on uh, hello on, multi, multi-laptops on, like, and they're saying uh uh paul paul Coucher says Talking about history, obviously at the start of the conversation you were talking about what you're doing, says uh, uh, the story of government buy-up and break-up of the huge sheep stations from the 1890s might be interesting. Yeah, um, and there's a great story. One of the reasons I'm doing these New Zealand history shows, I used to drive from Dunedin, where you are now, up to Christchurch. And you know when you go through Palmerston and Omaru, there'd be those cairns up on the hill. And yep. you would say to people, what's that? What's that big monument on top of the hill? And they go, I don't I don't really know. And you think, <laughs> oh, so the one in Palmerston, I, I really love because literally nobody knew what that monument was. You know, the one, eh? When you yeah, go to yeah. Palmerston, it's up on the hill. Um, and it's to Mackenzie, not Mackenzie, the, the sheep rustler, um, but Mackenzie, who was uh, a parliamentarian. He'd, he'd come from Scotland, he'd seen the breakup of the land over there, he'd seen the, uh, you know, uh, the, what's it called, the getting rid of all the people off the, the land, not the emancipation, the, you know, everyone had to leave yep. uh, so they could grow sheep and there were people hunkering down in churchyards and and and, and they dispersed the, you know that scottish diaspora across the world and he'd seen the misery that bought and he said this should never happen you know this is wrong and he came here and and, and the story goes he stood on that hill in palmerston and he looked out on all the land that he could see from the huge vantage point was all owned by literally one person and he said we've got to break all of this land up and so he pushed this legislation through that you know help break up the land barons that bought around that sense of that news rural new zealandness we have of mm-hmm. you know owning a block of land egalitarianism the small farmer making you know and basically shaped this nature of the small run holder farmer that we have today of course at the same time also pushed legislation through um if we want to look at nuance and and relatively um um, enabling a lot of Maori land to be confiscated for such purposes. So nothing's black and white. But yeah, that 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 monument and that breakup of the land barons. You know, they the phenomenal acreages of land that were owned. Um, and again, just even some of that uh, that land chainership. I'm, I'm obsessed with Blinkingsop's uh, cannon, which is in Blenheim. Um, you know, which someone stole. I think they stole it off Taropraha and then tried to trade it back to him to buy this land and he couldn't read the land deeds and they'd written it all down wrong and and, and Blinkensop himself was just one of these larger than life characters and it's all symbolized by this little slowly rusting cannon that sits outside the I think it's outside the council building and Blenheim thousands of people would walk backwards and 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 forge from it all every day you know over the course of weeks and years and not know anything about it and yet you know um, the Wairau incident the massacre I, I call it the Wairau misunderstanding because uh, <laughs> really the, the new zealand company failed to understand that never purchased the land from Tadopraha was his land ever since he'd killed all the people who owned it initially uh you know so this this you know this sort of we think that the world that we live in now is the one with all of the excitement but all these great stories so many stories and until we start to until we start to celebrate those stories it's hard to get a handle on 
on who we are and why we are. And it's lovely hearing uh, different spins to stories that you thought you knew as well. And the one that always comes to mind for me is Horneheke cutting down his flagpole. Um, I was educated once, you know, 10, 15 years ago, that um, I was, we were talking about the story and um, a very wise uh, Māori academic said to me, um, so you're aware that the the flag the flagpole was taken from Honeheke's forest, his land. He made it. He erected it. There was a, an agreement between him and the local uh, Europeans what would fly on it. And then when they flew something else, he chose to drop it down. And he goes, how do you feel about the story now? And I'm like, oh, well, I suppose he had every right to do that. It was his. And it's like, it just puts a, you know, it goes from being Honeheke, this, you know, rebel who was doing things to harm the early settlers and, you know, being a bit of a dick and causing uh, causing damage to someone going, in its most simplest, he's kind of just taking control of his own property. It just puts a yeah. completely different spin on the story. And I love, I love learning that. It is a great story. And I think it was, was it three times he cut the flagpole down? Something like that. He tried to build a better one. They they covered it in steel at one point and he still managed to cut it down. They put soldiers around it. He created some kind of uh, sort of massive uh, diversion, went up, chopped it down. I think that particular incident led to essentially the evacuation of um, (laughs) Kororareka and and the imminent threat to Auckland. Uh, You know, and it is, it's an incredible story. Uh, And again, goes back to what we're saying around that nuance unless you know the details of all of these little things it's very easy just to say wow bad good wrong right but you know incredibly complicated um and colorful stories i mean you know a lot of these people of this time were you know why we don't have movies and docudramas and books and plays and not you know all of these things celebrating all of these people i really i just don't know because i reckon you know not only would we love to read about them the rest of the world would be would think what was going on down there yeah and it's it's nice when you do see it i mean I'm, i'm thinking about um i heard a question in the press conference today so we hadn't talked about this but Pretty good to see still 20 new cases of, of COVID today, which was a good result, I think, for us, for oh, New Zealand. I haven't watched a single press conference, actually. It's just I, secondhand. But 20, is 20 good? Yeah, 20, 20 good. is good. It's been going down. It's, the, the thing that's been good, I've been having a look on the world meter um, as to our active cases, and I've only found three Western countries where the active cases are going on a downward trajectory. Us, Australia, and... Oh, no, maybe it's only us in Australia, and then also uh, Taiwan are right. all, all tracking down for the active cases. Every other country that I've had a look at, which is arguably not all of them, is still seems to be tracking up because there was 20 new cases today, but I think there was 100 who have recovered. So that's a net right. gain of 80 healthy people, I guess. Yeah. Um, well, unless they relapse, because who knows what's going on with that. Ugh. Yeah, that's God. scary as well. I forgot what I was going to say. Like, it's like worlds, eh? You know, the classic war of the worlds, uh, where these, you know, these alien creatures come down and they're lasering us all and we're gonna be taken over, and then a little bacteria, yep, a tiny thing, a microscopic thing, just gets into the system and there they are. Well it's collapse it's, in a it's, it's like indigenous it's like we're indigenous people. It's like when yep. Europeans turned up, especially to uh, Native Americans, seem to have got it worse than anyone, and smallpox wiped out like 80% of the population because they didn't have the immunity for it. So it's, it's like... glad it's, this is it, not smallpox yes. or a smallpox type thing. Like, you can recover, apparently, from this, and, and no one's going to look at you and go, oh, oh, you're horrendously disfigured by mm. this terrible disease that has left <coughs> weeping pustules and lifelong scars. You know, uh, hopefully it's not... Because those diseases that we think were things that... the 
the past. You know what? Oh, syphilis. You know, syphilis. What a terrible, terrible thing that was. God, I'm glad it's not that. I'm glad it's just like a really intense pneumonia slash flu, not yeah. a cold. Well, not it's cold. and 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 I've I've thought that a few times. It's it's like it's an experience for the world, especially maybe the world who spent a good portion of their history colonizing the rest of the world getting to experience what it was like for those indigenous people. It's like, you have no defenses against this. There's nothing you can do about it. Some will survive, some won't. And this is this is how it is. We're introducing it. It's coming. So, yeah. Happy days. Happy History, days. Historical days. Who who knows? I'm just in my little 650 square metres here in Henderson. I haven't actually really even left. I've walked to the service station a couple of times to buy some milk, and that's really about it. Right. You know, I've only been out uh, twice. I've got a client who owns a um, fruit and veggie shop here in Dunedin who's uh, still operating, and um, I went and saw them once after hours because he's my client, so there was no one else in the store, and got a, got a load up, and then I just took the car for a run up the hill last couple of days just to turn the engine over and um, yeah. stopped and got some milk from the dairy as well, and so that's all I've done in the last three and a half weeks or three weeks, whatever it's been. Hmm. Mm. Yeah, I've wanted to. I've sort of thought I could just drive down, just drive down Lincoln Road and see it. But at the same time, I'm also thinking I might just, I'll just lock in, just, just stay. Yeah. Unfortunately, I, I, I haven't been to the supermarket. My, my wife took that uh, responsibility on, so she's been, I think, once. She was actually when the lockdown was announced. Uh, I texted her. She was in the supermarket, and then she thought, oh, I'll just pop into the little bottle store and grab, some, <laughs> uh, grab some wine and and you know a couple of beers or something. And um, she was actually in the bottle store just after the lockdown was announced, and they and she was locked in. They pulled the roller doors down. Real. So I thought of all the places to be stuck uh, as people <laughs> begin to freak out about the lockdown was inside the bottle store. They just went, just buy stuff, buy stuff, and get out. Yeah. So that when it was announced, they basically shut the bottle store straight away. Well, it's West Auckland. Yes, uh, I think they probably thought, oh, we don't want to run, you know, on a store. Right. I think generally there's only one or two people there, so they may have been worried about security of staff or something like that. Um, so, yeah, it, and it was the one in the mall, uh, So they, which I wasn't particularly happy about yeah. turning up uh, in the mall. Um, so still with this weird thing, speaking of Prohibition, I've still got this weird thing where I still, even though I think the, tr the trusts do some amazing work out here in West Auckland with the, the money that's generated, yep. um, they, they fail in that the kind of, the sense of kind of little bars and restaurants isn't here as it is in other places. But at the same time, I, I think it's sort of great that you can't go to the supermarket here and there's alcohol, you know, um, and, and, and it's inconvenient. I remember when I moved out here, I, just, I couldn't believe it. What kind of antiquated world have I moved into? But actually, you know, doing work here in the community out in Henderson, you know, the number of people who say we, we, we love it because we have clients or, or themselves, they don't want to be, you know, it's easy to say just walk past it. You don't have to go into that alcohol section, but it's generally right next to the fruit and veggies. It's, it's a difficult thing. You know, temptation, that that, tempta that constant temptation that's always there. There's a difference if you've got to make a special trip to something. I kind of, I, I like it. Um, you know, it's, I don't think I'm a prohibitionist, but I like the fact that, you know, we don't have, bottle stores on every corner and, and and certainly the trust i think have slightly upped their game you know yep. they're not uh, uh, they don't have the sort of the level of sort of range of some of the other ones but then what are the plus sides to that we get a fire alarm and a first aid kit <laughs> yeah well uh, the, the, the the last two places i lived in Auckland before i left was uh Titarangi and then hui so we had oh, up, right, up yeah. there by the hardware cafe there was a nice little in the Titarangi village there was a nice little bottle store and that was it yeah so, and yep. we used to frequent there fairly often and, and yeah, you know, they're a little bit more expensive than the mass, 
you know, lost leading supermarkets. But like you say, you're supporting a local trust and that gives benefits yeah. back to the communities. And, you know, if you have the odd one or two here or there, it's it's not such a big deal. Yeah. I mean, and it is an interesting question. I was, I remember distinctly, I was in the Inch Bar. Is that still there? Yeah, the totally. That, that's, my from you? that's my local. Wow, what a great little local. Mm. I was having a chat with um, a couple of publican types and they said, look, you know, you can go to the supermarket and you can buy this stuff cheaper that we can go and get it, you know, and yeah. think, how do, how do, how do, how does people going out, we're talking about going out and having a beer, but, but when you've got this ability to, to buy it incredibly cheaply um, and then go and consume it wherever that may be at home or, or, or whatnot, you know, it's very difficult for those little um, establishments to continue to, to sort of, I guess, make a, make a profit it's going to be really interesting I, I, i'm thinking a lot about little little disappearances when we come out of this kind of lockdown right. i used to shop at the alderman drive pack and save shop there for 15 years um a, a little semi rundown pack and save quite small didn't have the range of some of the big ones but there was a real sense of community there i i re- had interactions with some of the um the women who who worked there for 15 years i wow. knew their kids i knew what was going on hmm. and suddenly they closed it because they're going to build a new one and not only was it convenient it wasn't so much the inconvenience of going there suddenly all these people were just gone right. like i don't know where they've gone i bumped into one of them she was working at another pack and say but suddenly you know this a dozen or, 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 or 20 people who I knew personally or by side enough to have a conversation with had just disappeared into the ether. And I wonder what that's going to be like when we come out of this, where you walk past a cafe or a barber's or a, a shop, that a, a, you know, a, a little restaurant or whatever it may be, where you've had a relationship with people on a very casual basis and suddenly they're not there anymore. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's yeah. not, it will be uh, for a lot of people those little, little social deaths in a way that disrupt the fabric as much as anything else, as much as the bigger thing. I mean, you know, not only the fact that people will, you know, you've, God forbid if if we do get to twenty percent unemployment, you know, or twenty five percent, which Treasurer I think said in a, in a semi worst case scenario. Yeah. God, say one in four. What happens? What happens at that point? You know, and and again, interesting that you know we talked about Airbnb before um, in the states. All those people on the in the gig economy, which all the all those bloody futurists and people and tech people have been turning up for years. Going, it's the gig economy. You got to get a side hustle and do this and do that. Suddenly, there's there's no support for them. Yep. What's you know they can't access any of the kind of wage schemes or you know, it, oh, society, eh? Yeah, it's interesting. It was always due for some kind of pandemic, socially, <laughs> social, economic. Capital, I, late stage capitalism. I listened to a couple of podcasts. I, I I listen to silly podcasts. I like silly podcasts. So I listen to some comedians out of America, and um, there's a bunch of high profile comedians who are talking at the moment about the servers and the comedy bars, or those yeah. people who who aren't getting anything. And and because the you know you know what it's like in America, you're a you're a a, a, a top of the range club comedian and you're still making millions of dollars a year sort of thing so they have again the the privilege or the luxury to be able to support these other people so they're going to do some online gigs and that and raise money specifically for the servers in the comedy clubs in los angeles and i think that's pretty fripping cool oh it's so good but again you know that very nature of the server is part of that american system you know what is it 60 percent, 70 percent? i think of americans were literally paycheck to paycheck and yeah. then you've got the likes of those those servers and the and the and the tax on 
you know that whole tipping culture and how just pay people a decent wage yep. you know but no you, you know every every sort of part of that american system is so extremely odd it's geared towards making as much money as possible at mm. the biggest cost to those at the bottom of the pile you know, ma- maximizing their looking at them like a dollar sign, and I, I'm surprised. I, I sort of knew this was the case, but I wasn't sure. I wasn't clear it was quite uh, as black and that, white as that this food service industry type thing. But it's interesting that you're listening to podcasts. I can't bring myself to listen to anyone else talking about anything. Oh, really? Moment. I'm listening to a lot of music, but I a lot of the podcasts. Oh, I keep whacking my gesticulating wildly and whacking my my microphone gripper um i i haven't had this desire you know to listen to a lot of those podcasts that i would listen to all the time whether it's history ones or no such thing as a fish or various other kind of comedic historical ones i just kind of don't i kind of just don't want to listen to it's ironic that i'm talking to you um (laughs) anyone else talking about things so as i say just a lot just listen to a lot of music yeah well i guess people people are finding their jam through this this period as well eh? you know and i'm um I'll be honest, I've watched more TV than I've ever watched before in this period because, you know, you do your work, you get it out of the way because I'm still, I'm still working. This is, this is quote unquote work and I've got a a couple of clients who are still um, working. So I do the, you know, marketing and media stuff for them. And um, so I'm still filling my half of my days and then you kind of go, right, you know, the, the lawns are done, the garden's done, the, the house has been vacuumed three times this week. Oh, what's on tally? So, um, but also, a podcast is something I've I've always listened to. Well, it's funny yeah. what you learn when you move out of Auckland. Two of the things I've learned is you can't charge your phone in the car because in Dunedin everything is seven minutes away. You know, in Auckland if you if you if you if, you, if your phone battery is low, you plug it in at Queen Street, and before you get to uh, Lincoln Road, you've got forty percent of your power back. That doesn't happen in in Dunedin. The other thing, this is for people outside of Dunedin to learn. Steak and cheese pies a lot harder to find than steak other than mince and cheese. Something about it down here, I don't know what it is, but apparently people in Otago don't like steak and cheese as much as the rest of the the world. Ooh, they like a, a little a meat that's a little softer on their palate. Maybe, chunk, but but the other thing is consuming content like long form content, podcasts, music, whatever, albums. Again, most of that happens listening in cars most of the time to a yeah. lot of people travel here is a lot quicker you know i've the first day i turned up to dunedin you know several years ago i turned up to come and look at housing flew down by myself turned up came to the end of the southern motorway literally at five o'clock the five o'clock news had just played on the radio so it was five o'clock turned up to what is arguably should be perhaps the busiest intersection in dunedin it's the end of the southern motorway it's the motorway that goes out to mosgill uh and there was seven cars queued up at five o'clock and that was it and i was like shit this is pretty cool you know, so so even in a even in a even in a quagmire of cars here, you add ten, twelve, fifteen minutes onto a trip. You know, uh, from from one side of the city to the other, it's it's nothing too much of it. There's there's not too many dramas about that, which it I love. It's a great little city. Yeah, it is a great little city. I, I was four years down there, visited fairly regularly. Just a, what a marvelous kind of place. Although you know, what's going to happen to universities now? I had a nephew, uh, he wanted to do an um, arts degree, very clever young man, um, ducks of his private school that he just went to, a well-rounded kind of kid, and he was looking at doing sort of various arts papers, and his choices were, I think, um, you know, Auckland or uh, Dunedin, and Dunedin was shutting down a lot of their arts courses, and in the end he's gone to Melbourne, um, wow. because they were, they're loving the arts over there. Um, you know, what, 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 will we, if we do have a lot of people who are 
their industries have been disrupted uh, 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 will they go back and retrain well we go back to this nature of going to learn stuff for the sake of learning rather than sort of just um chewing all of these young minds in and then regurgitating them out with commerce degrees or useful supposedly useful things like that uh you know what is what is the nature of an education now a, a that conversation was already being had around these graduates for the future who need to be nimble and adaptive and creative thinking and very you know empathy but all that kind of other stuff now in an utterly disrupted world what what are the kind of what are we going to say to kids to go if you if you had you've got you know your kids they're going to be coming very quickly to the end of that sort of school system yep. 18 months you one know, of them what are, what are they talking about what do they want to go and learn and do it is an interesting conversation you bring up and not a conversation that's uncommon in my household at the moment yeah um i, I yeah it's i'm i think that there's a couple of conversations you've brought up. One is obviously heavily influenced by the current COVID crisis. What is the university going to look like then? But then because I think society feels like it's going through quite a big change at the moment, will society in general have changed after this? Because once, I say once, assuming there's going to be, because that's what everyone's saying, once there's a vaccine, society could return to normal being what it was you know, six months ago if it wanted to. The question is, will it? Um, and I think that... If you're talking about the, the, the UBI before, the, the basic the universal basic income, um, will that then free up people to follow things that are more artistic and creative? Or if that's that kind of thing's not around, that support from the government's not around, will that drive people back into places where they're desperately needed? Maybe the medical fraternity will see a, a large range because it's proven we need more nurses and doctors. Maybe they'll get a bit... I, I don't know. I don't know. And I, I also you know, wonder, for places like Dunedin, you know, um, Otago University brings in over a billion dollars a year to this economy. And that doesn't include um, Otago Polytechnic. That's just the university. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. If if anything changes too much and 20% of those students aren't there, what's the flow on from that for the community? Mm -hmm. And also, what's that university going to look like? What is it going to look like? You see, the other thing that can happen as well is, is you know, um, maybe there will be some big conservation pro you could join a, a core of people and go out and plant trees um uh, which is just you know again that's oh, i remember was it or oh, it must be 12 months ago when they said we're going to plant all these trees and there were various you know we'll send all the unemployed out and have them plant trees and you went wait 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 that's a really hard thing to do yeah. <laughs> and lisa owen i think um there were two things i saw at the time one was a uh, an article from canada of a guy and he would go up every season into the into the wilds of canada and they would they would plant trees and you know it was it was hellish they there were hornets and wasp and the terrain and the isolation you literally went up there and you were utterly isolated for the period of time you were there for that tree planting season um, rugged and difficult and, and, and kind of dangerous work. And then Lisa Owen uh, from Checkpoint went and did it for a day and barely could barely cope. But she's a fit kind of person. She said, look, this is unbelievably difficult. Um, so again, that sort of sense of just, we'll send out all these people to do this, but actually that's kind of hard. And you've got to hunt, have people who are, who want to go and do that. Yeah. Will we see a return if we do have a large number of people to say, hey, look, here here's a whether it's a living wage or whatever it is, you can go and do this for three months, six months, go and do it for a year uh, and we'll credit you a two years, you know, a, a university degree, you know, all of these little questions around how do we fund and finance and change and support. And, you know, the thing that I think at the moment is a lot of talk around it is, is people who are riding their bicycles with their kids for the first time on roads, on, on cycleways and going, Hey, this is really cool. 
like i don't think people will forget the joy of that and so that you know that question more of that kind of friendly urban friendly infrastructure um you know even around little towns and you see it you know um cycleways throughout the country what a what, what an actual what a great thing that was those cycleways were to to re rehabilitate little towns for whom people had turned their backs on yep. you know the, the rail trail down in southland there's one through the middle of the north island even the teatador trail the teatador trail i think what, what an incredible accomplishment and i don't know you know and again people think oh, i'm gonna i'm gonna walk the teatador trail and gotta go and do that what, it's really hor- horrible like i listen to bruce hopkins podcast about it if you want to get a sense of how hard the teatador trail is allow me to strongly recommend on rnz bruce um hopkins uh, the long way home podcast if you want a bit of good god like i listened to some of that thought i'm never gonna do that but yet at the same time thought i totally want to do that i'm just gonna avoid that bit on the beach uh, that sounds hellish uh you know all of these things that 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 i don't know you know who knows who knows i wonder i wonder if you know after after with the or during that after the war was it michael joseph savage he was someone who bought in the sort of um you know building state homes in a wealthier yeah. state and that sort of thing i, I wonder I heard it wasn't in New Zealand. It was a different country talking about this is the time that governments need to borrow money. You can basically borrow money at 0% at the moment. I wonder if coming out of this, there are a bunch of those akin to post-war opportunities that a government could push on borrowed money if they want to, obviously with a long-term objective to to earning that money back or paying that money back. Maybe it's the time for infrastructure. But then, I mean, that also implies you need to be the people to do it. You know, maybe you it's... people to do it, but you, but you need also need the aspiration and the vision and 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 those people to say this is a thing that we can do and yeah. have people support them and drive that through. And what is you know once in a three times in a century kind of opportunity? Yep, maybe it's time to hire a thousand people who are uh, fit and willing and and have the skills to do it to start going through the. The bush top to top of the North Island to the bottom of the South Island and eradicate as many possums as they can. Maybe there's I don't wow. know. M- maybe there's other opportunities. I I I was at um one of the lakes in Rotorua. Um, we stayed there you know, several years ago and did the boat trip around the lake. It was just uh, me and my then partner and and the and the skipper of the boat. And he was like, we come through this, and he, and he kind of did this big waving hand about this you know this beautiful bush. And he goes, we come through there every you know two or three months and. Uh, we eradicate all the possums and we get it all clean and we clean it up and these like and six weeks later they're all back again. So it's oh, like they re they way. refill it, repopulate it very quickly. But and I'm not suggesting that's even a reality, but maybe there's a way to come out of this giving opportunities to people who have lost jobs who have the skill set or the, 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 the physical ability to do other things that we always talk about as good ideas but never have the budget for. Yeah. Well, when you talk about that, you know, possum eradication, a long discussion around gene editing. You know, I don't imagine that we will use gene editing to get rid of possums. You know, the technology is there and it sort of exists. But then what happens if someone takes one of those possums over to Australia where they really love their possums uh, yeah. and they're protected? If you hit one, you've got to take it to the vet. Uh, you know, um, so the poor old possum and then there's a people who go hey it's not look the possum you know it's not the possum's fault that it's here they have the right to live as any other animal lives um and that ecosystems need to adapt it's just a you know god the the the, the numbers of conversations you can have around that and then you know the 1080 conversation uh, which is often a diatribe uh <laughs> so yeah again no shortage of things but yeah i, I just think you know 
things like this you need you've got that bold leadership that says we're going to lock it all down and and we've got to sort of stay that course um and then having that aspiration to come through on the other side and to say what can we do now yeah. that will make the place we live in better and stronger and bigger and faster like a six million dollar man <laughs> See, in this, but only not in a this man, economy non non-gender non specific <laughs> uh probably more than six million dollar yeah. body politic um yeah and, and with an election coming up this year i mean all signs, oh, yeah. all signs would point to, you know, Labour will romp in this year. I wonder if it could be the first time you ever have mm. a, a a party with with the majority. It's never happened in MMP. I, I just wonder oh, if, if you could. It's long, it's a long time till September. Uh, what did they say? March was a very long year. Yeah. So <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. I'm. Uh, I'm oh, I'm not. I'm not one to, not one to count any form of political chickens before the before the eggs have hatched. I think that... Or indeed, or indeed even been laid. I think that with this leadership that Jacinda has shown at the moment, people may agree or disagree with, with that. I've actually seen some people criticising that we didn't go sooner. And I see freaking Simon Bridges, bless his cotton picking socks, suggesting that we should definitely come out of lockdown next week uh, and go straight to level restriction two. I'm like, yeah. dude, I mean, you know, it's like, I mean... Actually, you know Irene, Irene Malone, former uh, theatre sports friend, and yes, that. I do. She yes, wrote, I do. I, I put a blog post up. Oh, well, sorry, a Facebook post up last night that basically said, "For me, I'd rather stay in for a week longer than risk coming out too early," and that's gone crazy. And Irene, who lives in um, Singapore, said on my post uh, when someone said, "No, no, got to come out, got to come out, economic hardship," and she said, "Singapore got out too soon, and they went from a thousand cases to three thousand cases." And I'm like, "Yeah, yeah, oh, they had a yeah, huge." spike in the thing and, and and that is you know that's that is the scenario and i'm you know i'm glad i don't have, I don't have to make any of these decisions i'm just sitting in my room <laughs> looking at my bookshelves thinking great good, really glad i invested in that plywood three years ago um i pulled my books out i've, I've got a lot of ring too but you know uh, again just it's so just so disconnected pat you know i'm yeah. in a little bubble of uh, you know i've been lucky enough to have worked you know and, and being paid uh you know well over the years i i don't you know even though my work has dropped by 99.5 percent i i'm you know i've got the ability to sit here and do all of this and there's all these other people who are seeing their you know their businesses and their and their lives and their and their dreams just disappearing you know only 450 odd people in media who had jobs two weeks ago yeah 450 through bauer and then nzdme gets gone let alone everyone else and it's just who knows man who knows what what will happen but that's life no one knows we could all well an asteroid asteroid could take us out so oh there's a cherry thought um so what so what is in the we won't see it of course because bloody elon musk satellites or forty eight thousand of them will be up <laughs> in, the, in the bloody 5g'ing us uh so <laughs> What are you? What are you doing? What are you actively doing at the moment with work? I mean, obviously, conferences and stuff have shut. Are you? Are you writing? Are you using this time to sort oh, of I to prepare something to do later in the year? What is? What is on your plate? I built my bookshelves. <laughs> so I can go to, go to my research. Look, I've had this New Zealand War show that I've been meaning to write for years and years and years, and it's all based on Titokawadu's letters uh, that he sent uh, to the British. You know, that singly the greatest piece of two hundred and thirty odd words written in the history of the country. You know, where he he said, you know, my 
do not do not walk these lands you know um uh or you will be flesh for the birds and the and the and the animals and me and my people because i have eaten the flesh of man my throat is open to the flesh of man i'm going to be here come and bring it on which is just you know this incredible propaganda this incredible sort of um little thrust of a of a of a of a prick into the british to say you've got to come and attack me now before you have all these forces because i know i won't be able to defeat you and how does a man who would you know dedicated christian who had a you know the year of the lamb and he one of the most recognized peacemakers suddenly become this kind of warmonger and then what happened after that and and i was obsessed with who was the guy that got eaten you know and tracked him a young soldier called you know trooper smith had gone out to get his horse and and that sort of taken him and 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 turned him into this sort of soup uh and, and it, so it's all based upon this incredible letter um around which most people probably aren't familiar with the letter they're not familiar with the the characters the time the place the reasons the, the complexity like i will never in the in the two hours or so the show will be be able to deal with the complexities of what was going on but I, i've been obsessed with, with with being a kind of a conduit or a gateway to these incredible stories that mm. we have to allow people to understand why it is that these things are ongoing you know whether that be treaty settlements or land grievances or or, or, or finance and there's been a lot of a lot of looks between how much was paid out in treaty settlements and how much you know finance companies got down in the south island you know all of these little things but but for me it's 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 always the story of people you know i'm obsessed with the stories of people i want to i want to celebrate's not the right word commemorate celebrate these 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 stories because they're our stories and they shaped us and who we are and why we are and you know um jacinda said uh, uh last year i think it was the year before you know with new zealand history being taught in schools this was a millennium moment you know for, and thank goodness it's finally starting to happen but yeah i i always kind of thought particularly when it came to new zealand history i, I would think of the treaty the treaty was a kind of a a gate and it stopped people because that's where they thought they thought oh the bloody the, the treaty the treaty is this complex and fascinating living document but all of the history all around that as well and often they'll become obsessed with the treaty as a bit of history and oh you know the bloody lefty teachers will just be bloody teaching the, the treaty or whatnot but yet around it this vibrant bonkers kind of universe you know i remember you, you keep having these little moments when it comes to kind of new zealand history new zealand stories you say why you know you talked about your one with honey hickey why did no mm -hmm. one ever tell me that and i remember in um, vincent o'malley's um, incredible tome you know the great war for new zealand about the waikato wars he talks around what that um around running uh rangiafia around that kind of taumutu region what that looked like prior to europeans and you know the watercolors of, of fields of wheat and peaches and and kind of interhapu conflicts over who had a mill and who didn't have a mill when all of this food coming down the waikato being um portaged across to the manukau and then feeding auckland melbourne san francisco all of it run by maori or maori land maori businesses prior to europeans even turning up there and you could think what must the you know we talk about that kind of invasion of the waikato and if you were a you know a, a colonial settler bent on taking this land you must have just stood there and looked at all of this resource coming down and thought what the hell is happening up that river what's going on up there and how can we get some you know? <laughs> incredible incredible story i just remember just just being no one had ever said what that land was like and what that landscape was like 
you know, prior to the the sort of Waikato conflict. So I mean, yeah, that, I'm, I'm basically trying to write that as well as, as various other things. And, and then looking, you know, everyone's moving to sort of digital conferences and, and various other bits and pieces. I've got, uh, I do a lot of work in the stormwater conference and water conferences. And, and there was one scheduled for May and they've optimistically rescheduled it slightly later in the year. A lot of people are just scheduling straight, just postponing straight out from this year, straight into next year. And and it will be interesting as well. You know, I do a lot of awards nights and I was just talking to someone down in Wellington. I've done their community awards for, you know, a, a number of years. And uh, one of those nights that you, you know, if you host awards, what a privilege it is to be in this bubble of excellence and particularly community awards where all of these people, you know, who do all of the stuff and it's often not recognized and there they are being celebrated. I cry literally every time. Hmm. You know, I did the, the national one, did the national community awards last year, which was from all over the country. And I think it was about two weeks after the Christchurch, um, you know, incident. And, and just one of the most moving nights of my life to, to, to celebrate what is true and good and great about people who live here. Um, you know, and it's, so I'm, I'm going to miss those awards nights. How how will we have a year or two of of people whose work isn't honoured in this kind of way? What happens? What happens in that kind of sphere? I suppose yeah. of recognition of, of of rewarding people for doing amazing stuff. Of which shortage there'll be no shortage of people this year who have gone above and beyond what it means to to look after yourselves and your friends and your neighbours. Yep. You know they're they're popping up in the papers every day, so I don't know. I don't know how I got onto that, but but I never thought I would be the person who quoted a prime minister. Like I just I also who does that and quotes a politician. You know, some people go, oh, this wonderful quote by somebody, but I've I've been using that kind of paraphrased uh, quote from Jacinda Ardern's speech um, at the commemoration of Christchurch um, a lot, and and I did WOMAD um, this year, and there was a lot of conjecture as to whether or not WOMAD should even go ahead. And look, they just they slid in and you know pacifica had been cancelled and, and and various other things and you know i think you know a lot of people saying what's well, a racist thing for this to happen i think there was a, a essential difference there was you know pacifica was a big council event um WOMAD, you know how do you refund all the i don't know there's so many nuances and things but having said that i i was there was trepidation and going down it turned out to be singly just one of the greatest festivals i've ever been to incredible music from all over the world and this real sense that this was the last of the the bc events you right. know 2020 bc and, and on the sunday night you know that was it we were all going to be going back into a world that was radically changed over the course of that weekend the travel bans and announcements the quarantines had been announced over the course of that saturday and sunday you know, and people were obviously scared about would WOMAD be a, you know, a, 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 an outbreak of, of, of bloody, um, you know, the pandemic. But, you know, I, I finished it then again with that, that wonderful Jacinda quote around the nature of um, with with um, remembrance comes responsibility. And we have a, a responsibility, um, you know, essentially to be the people that we can be. Um, and through our daily acts of kindness, we can be the people we imagine ourselves to be. It's just, you know whoever wrote that you know uh, whether it was Jacinda or people you know she she delivered it delivered it powerfully it's just it's such a, a perfect moment for the last 12 months you know it's little things little kindnesses don't be a dick at the supermarket and and and, and particularly coming out of this I think it's going to be really it, it will be those small acts of, of knowing that the person in front of you who's doing something that you consider to be obnoxious or slightly antisocial you don't know what to them you don't know if they're 
business has gone under, if they've lost their jobs, if everyone in their household has, has, has struggled, if they've missed a funeral, if they've missed a, you know, who knows, these little small things. And I remember I had to do a, a presentation on climate change, um, which I didn't want to do because I was going through a long period last year of just not wanting to pay attention to that at all because it was too depressing. And some insurance brokers wanted it. My agent rings, will you do a presentation on climate change? I said, no, I won't. They said, they're going to pay this much money. I said, yes i will um, but i tried to find i tried to find things outside all of the normal the seas will rise and this and that and there's lots and lots of and lots of things around that climate issue societal issues you know um with each degree of of of, of temperature rise i've tracked through the states there's a six degree rise in, in in violent assaults and antisocial behavior you know little things like road rage in a hot climate people's tempers fray really quickly that will be the world we're going out into a hot world after this where tempers will fray really quickly and i think the the most important thing is going to to try to understand as difficult as it may be that we don't know why that person is acting the way they do you know and to try to have some empathy and understanding because people are going to do some dickish things uh, and it's going to annoy us and, and we just we we won't know why that is we have to understand um you know um as i say i'm in my bubble of privilege and i don't even know what's going on out there in the world with people you know other than friends and, and you know social media and i've seen lots of people losing their jobs and their businesses and their hopes and their dreams and that's it's gonna hurt for a long time the little acts of daily kindness i think it was jim jeffries uh love him or hate him uh who i uh heard in an interview several months ago several years ago who knows um and he said that the philosophy on life he was growing up with was you know uh have a good time and don't be a dick you know, that's just that's <laughs> his a, philosophy a, on life and i think it's quite good it, i think that is a good one you know uh what do we want coming out of the pandemic less dicks actually uh and there's no shortage of them and again you know uh, I think it is. I think it is important to have a debate around how long a lockdown asks. A healthy society has vibrant debate going on, and someone says, "I think it should end straight away," and someone says, "Well, actually, here are the reasons why it shouldn't." And you go, mm, "Those are good reasons, and I can use those reasons now when I'm having a discussion with X, Y, Z around why it shouldn't or should or, yeah. or, or whatnot." And again, now is now is not the time for, for simply lashing out. Everyone's everyone's got a vested interest in, in it one way or another. And again, you know, this, that, that sense of, you know, I was looking at it this morning and someone said, so it's excellent. You know, someone's time had been wasted explaining why we shouldn't come out of lockdown. And I wanted to go on. I, I, I'm one of those people who types in a response into a social media platform and goes, huh, and then deletes it. Yeah, I do that too. If there is anything you can learn from this conversation, feel free to delight, write an angry response and then delete it before yeah. you post it because, you know, but actually, I, I want to go on and say, actually, you know what? I, I'm really glad that, that this particular response came out in response to people who are saying, we've got to come out of it and we've got to get out of this lockdown and get on because you, you want to see someone go, this is why we don't. And you go, yeah, yeah, that's, I, I agree entirely with all of that. And, and I'm glad you've said that because, you know, people, it's like the 5G thing. You know, you can say things as much as you want, but there are still people going to Facebook stream their burning of a bloody cell phone tower in Menyarewa, I think it was. I don't know where it was, but it uh, sounded. The more yeah. ridiculous thing about that is there was video all over the UK of people doing it, and because they're absolute, I mean, it's it's the um, it's the mouth breathers who are doing it. Um, they uh, were burning down two G, three G, and four G yeah. ones as well. Yeah. So yeah. even and the then conspiracy... live streaming with yeah. <laughs> 
Hey, Radar, this what has a been, world. This what has a world, been, Pat. This has we been can a talk blast, mate. This has been an absolute blast, an absolute pleasure. It's been so long since I've actually had a, a chat with you. It's been um, so much fun, and thanks so much for uh, for spending a little bit of time with us on this uh, this lockdown podcast specials. Thank you. I'm going to go back inside now and probably play some more Uno with my four and a half year old Uno savant child. Uh, you know, I, I, and then probably do a jigsaw puzzle. And then I'm going to come and stare at my box and nice. um, choose choose one to read. But hey, um, you know, I think I think that was it. Just you know, go, go after this is done, go out into the world and, and try not to be a try not to be a dick. Don't be a dick. Too many dicks. <laughs> Cheers, Radar. Right dick. Catch you, Pat. I'm going to hug you next time I see you. I've missed you. I've missed your big hugs. Yeah, all right. Well, when you're next in Dunedin, we'll definitely do an in-person catch-up in, uh, in the studio, Let's hopefully. Do that. Uh, yes, or at the Inch Bar. Or at the Inch Bar. Catch you up. All right, guys. That is us done and dusted. Uh, today's podcast has been brought to you by our Patreon. If you would be interested in considering helping us make this product, then head to patreon.com forward slash the... D-O-C-N-Z patreon.com forward slash the D-O-C-N-Z I I realize that times are tough for a lot of people and for 99 out of 100 of you who are listening to this please just listen and enjoy and pass it around and you know we do it so that you will enjoy it maybe one out of 100 of you one or two of you out there would be interested in helping us make this helping us continue to uh, make this by supporting us and you can find out how you can do that by heading to patreon.com forward slash the D-O-C-N-Z. Uh, coming up this week, actually, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of messages sliding into my DMs. So um, keep it on the Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash D-E-P-T of conversation to see who is coming up. That is the most up-to-date place to find out who's on the way. But we definitely have booked in for you uh, from TV3, Mike McRoberts and also David Slack. Those two coming up in the next few days and there will be more on the way as well. Uh, head to the Facebook page or, of course, you can head to our website, which is thedoc.nz, www.thedoc.nz. But until we see you next time, stay safe and hooroo.